0: Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Thank you so much for joining us. These are very unusual times, and I've heard a lot of comments about these times, but when it comes to my my most perfect phrase, these are unusual times. It just seems to fit everything I'm thinking and feeling and hearing and dealing with as you are. These are unusual times. They're unpredictable. They're um, changeable. Changing in every few seconds. One minute we can do one thing, and the next minute we can't do that anymore. So I am glad that we're together. Thank you for listening. We've had a great response in this last week to the offers that we've made to allow you to hear our power of the table, as well as the organizational material. Surprising to me, but what a great time if you have a little bit of time to be at home, to train, to teach, to encourage, to accomplish. The second thing I want to say is that the sound is not as normal. We know that, we understand that, but I mentioned a few days ago, I'm in my studio producer's in her studio, the executive producer's in her studio, or bedroom, or closet, or wherever we all meet, but we're not together, and we're doing that, one, because we are people who believe in abiding by the laws of the land, and we're keeping our social distance even more than six feet. And the last thing I want to say before we begin our sixth and seventh statement today is I mentioned to you as we ended our show... On I thirst that a dear friend of mine Chrissy young who lives in Houston with her husband who is a pastor were talking about oh the Chronicles passage I think is how it got started and they were saying every knee will bow and he will hear I know that passage I know it's the old covenant I know that he always hears I don't discredit his hearing. But sometimes we ask and we expect him to hear and then do what we ask him to do. So I joined her in agreement that it would be lovely if we all had this sense of praying at noon. So I set my telephone timer and I'm encouraging you to do the same. I'm more than that encouraging you to kneel with your family. There is a physicality that happens to us when we take our bodies and humble them. I remember a season in my life when I practiced prayer in different positions. A lot of P words there, Donna. But I did. I got on my knees. I got on my face. I leaned into my chair. I laid on my back supine. I stood I walked and I, I used to have a dear friend who's now in heaven. And she used to t- tell me all the time her best prayer posture was walking. I I was too distracted with that. But I recently uh, taken that up again. Uh, I have an office in a church and there's beautiful grounds. And I just leave the office and I walk and I talk aloud and pray. So, This humble position of kneeling or a position of humility for your family. Aunt Bunny, who's now in heaven, also used to get on her face like in a crouch and kneel down and pray. So try something that would be a humbling position and try it with your family at noon in joining people around the world, Sri Lanka, Seoul, Korea. Oklahoma. I've just heard from a few people already who have mentioned this too, so join us. Well, we've been looking at these statements this week. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in this adventure during the Week of Weeks, Holy Week, Passion Week, or whatever you refer to this season. For me, these days have been a remarkable journey, a passage you know, it's often said the teacher always learns the most, receives the most, changes the most when we encounter God's word by teaching it. So my thanks to you, thanks to all of you who make Modern Homemakers possible, you listen, you contribute, you encourage, you affirm, you serve, you volunteer, you work, um, all of these pieces bring us together to the presentation of these podcasts. I mentioned a few days ago also that if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have a different perspective because they were different men. They found one thing more important than another. So in some of the Gospels, it says it is finished and he breathed his last breath. For it is finished, and he says in Luke, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. So, either way, I'm going to condense these last two statements, spoken from the cross, I'm sure of that. Research and history and scholars agree that all seven of these statements, which you can find on our website, ...and the passages where you can find them to read them... ...were spoken by Christ. Did he say, it was it finished, and he gave it up? Did he say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit? And he gave it up? I, I don't know exactly. But this week we've been embracing these last words... ...that Jesus spoke on the cross. We began by walking, by reminding ourselves... ...that Jesus kept walking. He kept walking... Straight into the plan of God. Torture and all. We talked about the prodigal son in that first statement. As we see him come to his senses. And we hear Jesus ask God to forgive all who are taking part in the crucifixion. Like the prodigal, we often do what we do not understand. And when he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I feel that welcome of his forgiveness when I do something. I don't know why I do it. Then he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And that reminded us that in an instant, in a second, we can make the change to recognize God, the Messiah, Christ, calling us to come and we can say, yes, one moment this criminal is guiding With his fellow criminal Jesus and the next moment he says he is the Messiah and Jesus responds and says today you will be with me in paradise and then in the midst of this suffering we experience the third statement when Jesus experiences showing us how much he still cares and cares for the world and he says to his mother woman behold your son And to John, his beloved son, behold your mother. And from that moment on, Mary went into the home of John. And then, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is particularly connected to this last statement we're going to look at, because it is very clear that, He has this sense of feeling forsaken. And it occurred to me because I'd not listened to all of these podcasts myself, but I woke up in the night, one night this past week thinking, had I made it very clear to all of you? Oh, I hope I did. Jesus was never forsaken by his father. The New Testament tells us that Jesus says to us, I will never to the fifth power, never, 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 never leave you or forsake you. But we also know the wise words of St. John of the Cross, who speaks of something that we have all experienced, whether we called it or not, the dark night of the soul. I I've, I've felt this phrase. I have felt this phrase in my own life. I have felt Absent of him, I have felt a darkness, I have felt an aloneness, I have felt a sense of bereaved. And I but I know, I know in my heart, I know in my head, I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. And Jesus felt the same thing. He was going through as a human this pain of the cross. Of course he would have felt dark and alone and left. And of course he cried out, God, God, why have you forsaken me? And then we talked about the eye thirst. Uh, I think maybe the eye thirst and the water metaphors has touched me the most this week. The water meth- metaphors and all of the finished proph- prophecies The I thirst uh, found in the Psalm 69 uh, that was written by David long before Jesus hung on the cross and used the words as a way of completing the prophecy. And today we move to the sixth and seventh of these statements, the sixth and seventh. The sixth being, it is finished. And we read that in John 19 and 30, and then, "Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit." And we read that in Luke 23 and 46. So in John 19, the Greek word, and you have probably heard this in your life of celebrating Easter, to Teleisti, to Teleisti. That's the Greek word that means it is finished, To tello, to come to an end, to complete something, you know, your final dissertation. Or my grandson and I together climbing to Dixie Peak. Oh, he climbed it and yelled down from Nana to hurry up, and Nana couldn't even get up that day. And I couldn't get up for many days following. I think it was many weeks following, and finally... Samuel, who would go off to hike the mountain with me, um, he would climb all the way to the top and look down and shout at me. And then I did it. It wasn't that I just survived it, but it was rather I completed, I did what I set out to do, to telestine. That's what Jesus is saying when he says it is finished. It is written in Greek. And in the Greek tenses, if you know anything about Greek, your pastor or teachers, someone must have mentioned the perfect present tenses that are found in the Greek language. And this is a perfect tense. And that is meaningful because it says it was finished in the past, but with a result that is continuing into the present. It is finished to that. It did happen long ago, but it continues to bring results every day, past, present, and future. At the height of his ministry and miracles, many Jews came to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Son of God, Jewish leaders feared Jesus because of his growing followers with the help of Judas Iscariot, Roman soldiers arrested Jesus as he was put on trial for claiming to be the king of Jews. According to the Roman law, the punishment for rebellion against the king was death by crucifixion. When I was reading that and studying that this last week, it, it reminded me of something I read many years ago. And it was not it was not written in a way that said, this is a fact. It was written as something that you and I might do. What if? What if? What if? What if the reason Judas, what if the reason Judas betrayed God, Jesus, was because Judas was simply believed with totality that Jesus was the Messiah. And he wanted us to get along. You know, come on, move on, little doggy. I I never related to Judas in any way except in this brief few paragraphs that I read because I thought, well, it sounds like a Peter or a Donna. Jesus, I can see that you're the Messiah. And I can see a better way to get everybody to know you. Let's put you up. Let me see. How about on FaceTime? No. How about on Facebook? No. How about on Zoom that reaches meetings around the world? How about that was Judas? And he thought, if he called the Romans and told them, if he, he went to them and said, I can do this, what would happen was that they would come to arrest Jesus and Jesus would have to, doesn't that sound like a human sort of thought, he would have to rise up and say, you can't do that to me and do what Peter tried to do, you know, cut off his ear or cut off their heads or bring 10,000 soldiers. But according to the Roman law, the punishment for rebellion against the king was death by crucifixion. And that's what had come to believe that Jesus was doing. But here he is saying, it is finished. It is not just I survived the crucifixion. It is not that I'm just going to get rest from this excruciating pain. No, it is I did what I set out to do. Judas participated. Pilate participated. In the Hebrew language, the it is finished is paid in full. Paid in full. I've been alluding to my husband and I Moving, leaving our home and moving into a new one. May I tell you that it seems like we've been paying in full a lot of things. The painter and the floor people and the garage people and the door people, we've been paying in full a lot of things. The great Bible scholars of the past and present cannot find enough grand adjectives to make this paid in full, this statement understood, this shout of mighty victory. It will take eternity to manifest, one scholar said. It is complete and comprehensive. To Telestai, at the height of his ministry and miracles, many Jews came to believe in the Messiah. Jewish leaders feared what he was doing, and it was time for him to be put away. There's a part of me here in my study that makes me feel like I'm cheating you by not expressing the depth and width and breadth of this accomplishment. If someone quoted this, he took my bankruptcy and covered it with his solvency. It was not just the end of his pain or the crucifixion or the suffering that everyone was having, including Mary and those who loved him and John. But it was a successful completion. Now, those of you who know me well, and many of you who listen regularly do know me well, you will know that I am, as my friend Sandy Wilson says, a recovering perfectionist. Now, that means I still am but I'm trying not to be. One of the things I've been recently doing is when something is done, finished, to what I like it to be, or what I think is the right thing, I say, perfect! And I've been hearing myself say that, and I think, it's not perfect. There's nothing perfect. Jesus, who calls me to let him finish the good work, he begins in me. He wants to complete it. It's him maturing in me i am becoming perfect in him i am maturing in him and when i see him face to face then i will be perfect but between now and then i am not the other powerful idea to me in this to tell us die it is finished that i can enjoy that i can embrace what my christ did on my behalf that i can lay down my burdens that I can surrender all these things that I fuss and fume about, all these things that I don't want to do. I don't want to do that. Even when I feel a conviction, there's something going on in my spirit, which I have only told my, my prayer partner, only told one person, that it's That I cannot get away from it. And as I was preparing this time to be together, I thought, Oh, Lord, is that what you're calling me to surrender to that? I don't want to. Do you ever feel that way? I don't want to. And but he did it. He did it all on my behalf. And I can lay down my I don't want to and surrender to his call. This is atonement. Andrew Murray, whom I love very much, wrote, Every day that our confidence grows fuller in Christ's finished work must see our heart more entirely yielding itself like him, a whole burnt offering in the service of God and its love. Let me read that again. Every day that my confidence grows fuller in Christ's finished work I must see my heart more entirely yielding itself to be like him, a whole burnt offering in the service of God and his love. It is done to tell us die. It is finished. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a savior. I feel very verklempt at that. As I was preparing these lessons, I thought to myself, Oh, Mary, the mother of Christ, who carried this child in her womb, who no doubt nursed him at her breast, weaned him and taught him and laughed with him and played with him and cried with him and disciplined him and worried over him and prayed for him. And she stood there watching him be crucified. Jesus would never have chosen me to be the mother of our Lord. God would never have chosen me. I don't think I could do that. But then I hear this statement, it is finished, and there is this sense of completion about the work of his hands. And I think if I could have known that I might have been able to be like Mary. Maybe Mary knew that. Maybe Mary knew from the beginning that Christ was going to say from the cross, it is finished because this was the route that he had to take to accomplish the Father's will. So may it is finished be a serious phrase in your life to tell us die that you have accomplished what God set out for you to do. And then the last statement. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. I know this show will be a bit longer. I have fewer things to say about Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Or at least I think I have fewer things. I do make notes, I do prepare, but I also try to be spirit-led as we talk. So Luke is the only writer who gives these seventh words from the cross. The one thing I know is that the formal name of God has been replaced with father again remember a minute ago as I began the show and I was talking about the last statements and when he makes the fourth statement my God my God why hast thou forsaken me he has changed the name he is not referring to God as his father and I wonder as I came to see that and feel that I thought I wonder if that dark night of the soul that he was experiencing that desperation, that sense of aloneness as man because he was fully man and he did feel these things but he never sinned in them. He felt them. He felt hungry when he went into the wilderness to be tempted. He felt thirsty. He felt tired. He felt the need to go away for quiet. He had had too much of people. I mean, He was fully human. So Now we come to this, and he's fully human, still on the cross. And he changes this statement into, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. In this study of this last statement, I found so many truths of myself. When I'm ticked at someone, like my husband, whose mother named him David, and wanted him to be called David. And when David and I first met, he introduced himself as David. But then there were some of his friends who called him Dave. And sometimes he would shake his hand and he would say Dave Otto. And I would shake my head and say, "Who's Dave Otto? I don't know Dave Otto." And one time I said to him, "Oh, Davy baby, that's what you must." And his mother and I chatted about it and she said, "Oh my gosh." You know, she was she was indignant. David, she named him David. He should be David. When I find myself in entering into a conversation when I'm ticked to David by calling him, instead of just conversing with him or entering into a conversation, I say, David, oh, that toad. And all of us who are mothers, of course, we have done that when we are annoyed with our children. What do we say from the screen door out into the backyard? And Leonardo, she knows she is in trouble. Get in here. Get in here. So here's Jesus, Lord, God, Messiah, God in perfection. He calls his father God. God, oh God, why have you so forsaken me? Maybe, maybe that's why. I don't know that that's why. But here we come and he says, Father, here I come, here I am. It feels tranquil to me. It might be depicted as the resignation of completion. I can't help but think of someone else in the New Testament, who has always been a hero of mine, Stephen, Stephen, the first martyr of many martyrs after the church began. Remember, they stoned him to death. I can still not even say that without wincing, feeling of what it must feel like to have a stone hit me, and many stones hit me until I am dead. And here he is, Rather, the imitation of Christ as the first martyr, and he prays aloud, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit," and then he finishes by looking up into the sky, and he says, "Bent down, here, here I am." He. It was a photo frame that I always see, of his knee bent, looking up into the sky. A little history about this, I commend my spirit. Ezekiel was the first human to call Jesus the Son of Man. You know, the old bones rattle and flesh appear, and Ezekiel's Ezekiel. The wind blows and the spirit is present as a source of life. Well, we receive that same spirit in our life, and our spirit belongs to God. I find this to be a great letting go picture, and I do need it. And right now, as we finish this move that David and I are engaged in, I realize that we left our big house. A very big house with a big property, and we had a cottage and place for people to stay and minister to in that way. And we're older and our life is changing. And I got rid of at least a third of everything I belonged to, and I was so proud of myself. And now that we're beginning to put our belongings into our new house, which is decidedly smaller, I'm thinking, oh, no, I have more stuff to get rid of. I think I have lots more stuff to get rid of. I'm whispering it because I can't quite believe it's true. Now I have a dear friend, my husband and I have a dear friend, who some years ago said crushing words to us, and his words were, I'm not ready to go to heaven, and we, we were shocked. We, we thought that had something to do with his position of faith, but it wasn't that. He said, I love earth so much, my family is so wonderful, and we've had such success, I don't want to leave it. Jesus loves people and he loves relationships. And I can't help but believe that in Jesus, the man form, he felt about as sad as his disciples did. And they all ran off and hid while he went through the crucifixion. I think he felt sad about leaving his mother and his friends and his family. And once again, in these last statements, we are back in the Psalms. We are back in the Psalms, this time Psalm 31. Oh, I feel so called to go back and read all of these Psalms that we've encountered in these last statements, Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 and Psalm 24, but here we are in Psalm 31. And the psalm is again written by David, and it's a prayer and praise for deliverance from the enemies. And in verse 5 of Psalm 31, you will read these words, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord and faithful God. The last of these seven statements spoken by Christ into your hand come straight from the psalmist and then we are drawn to Psalm 139, Oh Lord you have searched me and known me an old Keith Green song that I love very much and Psalm 139 13 and 16 you did know me from my inward parts these are words of faith and trust If there's ever been a time in our world, not just Germany or England or the concentration camps or Italy or China, but all over this world where the virus is showing itself to God's creation, let's not try to figure it out. Let's not try to understand what it all means. Let's try to trust and have faith that God is in it. I've heard a lot of comments in these last weeks, like, what is God doing? Is this instruction, correction, punishment? Where is he? How can he let so many people die at one time? I recently answered that question as I was frank and able to with the woman I was talking to, and I said, I know it's many souls and a lot of numbers, And when we're watching the TV channels, it's spoken in such gargantuan terms. And I know that every loss of life represents a child to some parent, a potentially wife or husband to some spouse, a parent to a child or a grandparent. But in our country alone, there are 330 million people. And even... If 1% of that were to perish in this virus, it is still very small. This is a time I think that we are being called to Abrahamic faith. I trust you, Lord. I trust in God's promises and his promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. It is time for our prayer to be his will and not our want. It is time for faith and trust. As we see Jesus placing his trust and faith in his Father, Fathers, unto you I commend my Spirit to you. In the incarnation, Jesus assumed the fullness of humanity, and at the cross, he commends it to the Father. We are made whole and perfect to the Father. Is there a dark side of the cross? Oh, painful. Yes, maybe. But there certainly is also the glory to the cross. Jesus is lifted up to the glory in the glory. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. And as we end this week of weeks, as I've called it for decades, this holy week, as many churches call it, this week of virus in the world, this absence of attending services, this looking forward to the resurrection of Easter Sunday, this gazing at these last seven statements, utterances spoken by Christ from the cross in his pain and agony. Let us remember, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. I pray for you. I pray for you as men and women and children around the globe who listen to Modern Homemakers. I pray for those of you who have already embraced this eternal life. And for those of you who have not, may I suggest in these days you make time to have a conversation with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit about your future with Him. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish go out and make it a very uncommon day of being lifted up.